0: Well, good morning, everyone, and I'm sure glad each one of you are here. And if you want to open your Bibles along with me, we are in Exodus chapter 14, and we will be picking up with verse 13. Exodus 14, picking up with verse 13. Uh, One thing I want to mention, I know we've had the announcements playing before church started, but next week we're having um, our church family dinner. Normally we have it the third Sunday of the month, but of course that's Thanksgiving. But anyway, we wanted to have it on Veterans Day this year. And so next week, our church family dinner is going to be to honor our veterans. And we're going to have them come forward during the second service also to recognize them and honor them. So if you're a veteran, we have a sheet out there um, on our desk. And it's a place where you can put your name and what your branch of the service was. And... um, and it's interesting, too, because we have every single branch of the service represented so far out there in our little bitty church, which is kind of cool. And um, I actually got a little present for uh, all of you veterans, and uh, men and women. We've had women in our fellowship that are veterans, too. And so uh, it's going to be a great time. That's next week. So anyway, um, we are in Romans, for, or, uh, Hebrews, Exodus, Genesis, Leviticus, and... Uh, We're in Exodus 14. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and how thankful we are for your word and the truth that we find in it. It's the only answer to this world. It's the only answer to everything that's going on around us. And so I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would use me to minister your word to these people, Lord, your chosen people. Your chosen people are those that have committed their life to you and are born again. And they have become the Israel of God, not only Israel the nation, but we all who love you. And I ask, Father, that you'd anoint and use me and help me to minister in such a way that it would make sense and also fill the hearts with joy and confidence of everyone here. And so, Father, come, anoint and use me, I pray, in Jesus, Yeshua's name. Amen. And amen. You know, it's an interesting thing, having been a science major, because I look around the world. And I cannot believe that people believe that everything came from nothing. I mean, really think about it. If creation is true, which it is, we have infallible proofs. I mean, infallible proofs that creation is true. Then what that means is there was an eternal God who created everything that there is out of nothing. And he created these species and all the planets and everything bam, just as they are. And a lot of people say, oh, I have a hard time believing that. I'd rather believe that there was this dense uh, glob of matter about the size of of a period on a page in the universe. Of course, we have no idea where that little dot came from, and we don't have no idea where the universe came from, but they said it was there. And that little dot just exploded in what we call the Big Bang and became everything that there is. And, of course, the red shift, I don't want to get into all that, proves that that whole idea of the expanding universe is is completely contrary to what they say anyway. But the point that I'm getting at is then they'll say, all this inorganic material somehow, you know, exploded out and then there was this glob called the earth and then somehow there was water that came upon the earth that developed this cosmic ooze and out of that cosmic ooze you had certain, you know, things developing and all of a sudden one of them crawled out of the, out of the ocean and became a man. You know, it's a long process and this and that. And they'll say, why can't you believe that? Doesn't that make more sense? No, it makes no sense at all. But to know that there was and is a creator God, who created the heavens and the earth, who said, let there be light, and there is light, makes much more sense. And you might be wondering why I'm getting into this. It's because if we don't understand that there is a God in heaven, who created the heavens and the universe, who determined the very end from the beginning, and has a very real purpose for your life, and for everything that's going on in history, then we'd be a mess. Nothing makes any sense because the Lord does have a plan. I mean, all you have to do is look at the political scene today, and it's like, oh, but our focus shouldn't be there. Our focus should be on the promise that God has made, that one day he's coming back for his church because he created this world, and the world rebelled, But in his love, he provided a way of redemption that the people of this world could come back to relationship with God. But there's going to be a time that he would bring judgment on the unbelieving and this unregenerate world. And we're getting close to that time. I don't know the day. I don't know the hour. But all I know is Israel's nation... All I know is that all the nations that are prophesied in Ezekiel 38, read Ezekiel 38. 36 is Israel coming back into the nation. 37 is the, they're blooming and, and becoming very successful. 38 is about all these nations that are coming against Israel in order to attack it. And that's the time of the rapture, the raptos, the Latin word that means to be caught out, to be taken up into the air violently. And it doesn't mean violently like an uh It means it's just quick. And, you know, and fast. And so we have to realize we're living in that time. And things are getting closer and closer and closer. So when you read the book of Exodus, which we are this morning, and it talks about the children of Israel being taken out of captivity, there is a captivity that all of us as believers are going to be taken out of very quickly, very soon. And it's something we can pray about and we can be thankful for. Now, at this point in uh, chapter 14, the Egyptians, Frank brought this up in the first service, they were very angry with themselves for allowing the children of Israel to leave. You have to realize, for 30 years, when the Israelites first came into Egypt, for 30 years, they lived in peace and prosperity. But then when Joseph was no longer in power, remember it says there arose a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph will be, young. Know, and when Pharaoh was no, uh, when Joseph was no longer in power, then they turned the tables around, and all of the Israelites became slaves. And the burden of their slavery became heavier and heavier and heavier, until it came to a time that the uh, people of Egypt, the Pharaoh and the people of Egypt, were saying, "Hey, we got a little problem here. The Israelite slaves are becoming more numerous than we are." And so their plan was, they said, well, let's kill all the male children that are born. And of course we know that there was one child that was spared and uh, he was taken and he was put into a little ark, a little basket, and uh, where the um, daughter of Pharaoh would come down to bathe and that was Moses. And so she drew him out of the water. Moses means to draw out. And he became the one who would eventually deliver the the Israelites. And now, God proved himself infallibly by the plagues. The tenth plague, of course, the most devastating one was the death of the firstborn. But even in that, God provided salvation. He said if you take a lamb and you sacrifice it, and you take the hyssop, which sucks it up almost like a... Um, you know, capillary action, and you dip it in the blood, and you put blood on the lentil on the doorpost of your house, the angel of death would pass over. And that wasn't just for the, for the Israelites. Anyone who had faith to do that. And there were a great multitude, uh, a mixed multitude that went left with uh, the um, Israelites who had faith to do that. And the angel of death would pass over. But anyway, that final plague is what made Pharaoh very angry, because even in his household, the firstborn died. And he said, okay, leave, and leave now, and take everything with you. Remember, he said, oh, you can go, but you can't take your women. Okay, you can go, and you can take your women, but you can't take your kids. Oh, you can go, and he had all these stipulations, but now he said, you go, go, you know, just get out of here. And so then, God put it on the hearts of the Egyptians to to be very kind to the Israelites as they were leaving and Frank got into this this morning. So he goes so the the Israelites go up to the Egyptians and say, "Hey, we know you've just experienced 10 plagues from God and we we know the Pharaohs kicked us out and we're leaving, but before we go, can we have your gold and silver and your articles of clothing?" And the the Egyptians said, "Yes." And scripture says so in leaving they plundered the Egyptians. It doesn't make sense. And so they're gone. They're out into the wilderness now. And all of a sudden, Pharaoh and his armies and the people of Egypt say, What did we do? These were our slaves. They're the ones that did all the, you know, the very menial labor that we didn't want to do. What are we going to do? And, and, and look at this destruction. Then their hearts grew very hard and angry. And they went out against them with a fierce anger to try to bring them back. And as believers, we have to understand that our enemy, we have enemies just like the children of Israel. Our enemy is Satan and this world. This world's not your friend. It pretends to be your friend. Your friend is someone who talks you into doing things you shouldn't be doing. And so Satan and this world tries to talk us into doing things that only bring destruction upon us. They're not our friend. And then we have to realize that just like Pharaoh, when we refuse to follow Satan, when we, refuse to, when we refuse to follow the ways of this world, Satan in this world comes after us with an uncontrollable rage. But the good news is, just like with the children of Israel, God is able to deliver us fully, not partially, fully. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so he saves us fully. But we have to understand, once we're saved, just like the children of Israel, and we cross over the Red Sea and we're into the land of freedom, now we face our greatest enemy in the wilderness of this world, of this life. And you know what that greatest enemy is? Self. Have you ever heard that old expression, You're your own worst enemy. No, a lot of that is true. But the thing is, we have to fight. We have to fight. We can't just stand there and allow Satan in this world to just take us down. And I wrote something down here that I wanted to read. I thought it was, um, It is better to die in the field of honor than to live in the chains of slavery. It is better to live as God's freeman in the open air of the wilderness than the Egyptian bondsman in the smoke of the brick kilns. Isn't that true? I'd rather be free in the Lord and, and maybe be in the wilderness of this life and, and uh, maybe not have all the things I'd like to have. Maybe things aren't going exactly the way I want, but I'm free in the Lord. I'm a free man in the Lord rather than to give all that up and to go back into the chains and the bonds of this world. This world loves to eat us up and just tear us apart. You know, um, a number of women from our church went to a women's conference at uh, Calvary Chapel, the Finger Lakes, yesterday. And when Vi came home, she was uh, telling me about the speakers. And And it's absolutely amazing. And there's a couple points that I want to make in sharing about some of these speakers. Like, one of the speakers was you know, completely lost in drugs and in every other thing you can imagine. And Jesus Christ was able to redeem her and to free her and to give her the power and the strength to live above that sin. But both groups of women, I want to say something about what they shared in a moment. And the other, two of the other, or one of the other women was in a lesbian relationship for years, for years, for years. And even when they started coming to church, they were still in this lesbian relationship. But the reality is the church they were attending, she said before when they would have some of their, you know, gay pride uh, praise and like that, she said it used to just turn them off from Christianity where you'd have these Christians, so-called Christians out there holding banners saying, you know, God hates fags, you know. You know all queers should be put to death, and that of course would turn them off. But they came into a church where the people just loved them, and told them about Jesus Christ. And eventually they got saved, they were born again. And the one woman was the speaker who goes around sharing, uh, you know, her faith and also the work of God in anyone's life. And the woman who was her partner is a missionary. See, that's what God does. All we do is screw things up. You know, I'm going to do this. You're going to say that. We need to just, remember what God told Moses and the children of Israel? Just stand back and watch the glory of the Lord. And so we have to come to a place as believers that we're not all involved. And believe me, I did this for enough years. But we need to come to a place where we're not involved in pointing out everyone's wrong and everyone's error and and speaking so angry against people that are caught in this sin or caught in that sin because the reality is this. We're all sinners saved by grace. Every one of us. Well, this this sin's a little bit worse than that sin. Where do you find that in the Bible? The Word of God says all sin is equal. All sin is transgression against God, right? And so we have to understand that the battle that we're fighting in this world today, the greatest battle is against ourselves. Because I want to have love towards people. I want to stand on the truth of God's word. I want to live a Christian life. But I want to have a love for people. And um, then you have Moses telling the people, he said, don't fear Well, he wasn't telling the people not to fear because we're getting ready for war and God's going to put a magic sword in your hand and you're going to slay the the, the Egyptians when they come against us. He's just saying, don't fear. All I want you to do is stand back and watch the Lord work. And you know, he still says that to us today. Because the battles that we face, brothers and sisters, in reality are spiritual battles. It is faith that we need to have in the one we love and who dwells within our heart. It is not the actions that we take in some physical you know, realm or some physical way, but it's the action that we take through the love and reconciliation of God through, through us as we reach out to others. Because we have to remember, deliverance is always by the hand of the Lord. You know, have you ever talked to someone and you say, oh, I wish I would have said this. You know, when you're trying to witness Jesus Christ, oh, I wish I would have said that. Oh, if only I've done this. Oh, if only I've done that. Well, the thing is, all you have to do is show the love and reconciliation of God because it's only God that does it anyway. It's not because of any specific thing you said. You know, well, I'm going to go to a class where I know how to say the exact right things in order to lead people to Christ. Well, good for you. I mean, some of those things that you're going to learn might be good, but that isn't the way you lead people to Christ. You lead people to Christ by offering to them the free gift of salvation that brings full and complete deliverance. And to have that attitude of reconciliation towards anyone. I remember this you know, kind of a funny thing. I remember one time um, saying, anyone who comes into our church... We want to love them, no matter what they're dealing with. I said, I don't care if someone walks through those doors in a clown suit. We're going to love them. And uh, then when, when the children came up after children's church, one of the kids had a clown suit on and came walking right down the middle. Uh, yeah, there you go. But um, it, was kind of, it was a pretty good, you know, um, presentation there. Anyway, um, but one of the things that we find is that God is all about delivering His people. He delivered His people, but He destroyed the Egyptians, not because they were an evil people, but because they were a people who refused the gift of God. Remember, they had sign after sign after sign showing them who God was. And all they had to do was relent and repent, and God would have given them everything. But instead... They harden their hearts against the Lord. And that's why we have to make sure that we don't harden our hearts. And our greatest prayer should be for those that we love that they don't harden theirs either. Now, the Egyptians were chasing the Israelites, and they're out in the wilderness, and um, they were trapped. On the left side, as they're facing the Red Sea, they had the craggy mountains, which are sharp rocks. It was just impassable. On the other side, they had Al Zafan, which really was Egyptian fortresses. So they couldn't go to the right, you know, because of the Egyptian fortresses. They couldn't go to the left because of the craggy mountains, and of course, the Egyptian army was behind them, and the Red Sea was before them. You don't just march two million people to the Red Sea; they'll drown, they'll all die, and so they were trapped. And they had nothing to do. They had no place to to go except up. Right? They're, you know, Craigie Mountains, Egyptian fortresses, Egyptian army, the Red Sea. They're surrounded. Had no way to go except up. And that's when Moses shrieked out and cried to the Lord. He went up. And the Lord was able to deliver. So we're in Exodus chapter 14 and starting with verse 13 and Moses said to the, said to the people, "Do not be afraid." And you know what? We don't have to be afraid. It's easy to be afraid, isn't it? Have you ever heard someone say they were afraid of their own shadow? Have you ever been frightened by your own shadow? I have. I mean, not that I'm some kind of a sissy, but you're, you know, walking through one of those places that are kind of weird and like this. And all of a sudden, (laughs) it's your shadow. But anyway, he's telling them not to be afraid. And we don't have to be afraid whatever comes our way because we need to understand what Scripture tells us. You know, we might lose our physical lives, but we never die. We go to be with the Lord. Physical death isn't the end for the believer. It's the beginning of a new life in Christ. Okay. So anyway, he says, do not be afraid. Then he says, stand still. Stop doing all your little, you know, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to figure this out, and I'm going to figure it Stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he, capital in your Bible, talking about Yahweh, God, he will accomplish for you today. You don't have to do anything. For the Egyptians, whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold, and you shall hold your peace. In other words, be quiet, be calm, have trust. So, in the same way, we have to make sure that we're not afraid. But we trust in the salvation of the Lord. They'd forgotten all the things that God had shown them but we can't. We have to remember all the things the Lord has shown us, all the things He's delivered us from. And His salvation is not only at our initial conversion. Yeah, that's when you're initially saved. But His salvation is continuous. Every time you cry out to the Lord, help me, Jesus, He does. He's saving you. It's salvation. Now, you're only born again Once. You're not born again, born again, born again. You're born again once. And most of us, we know that exact day and time when we committed our life to Jesus Christ. But we need his salvation continuously. Because let me ask you a question. How many of you, and and please don't be embarrassed to raise your hand, okay? How many of you, from the day you were saved, never committed another sin? Raise your hand. Wow. You bunch of sinners. And me too. The point I'm getting at is his salvation is continuous. It's a wonderful thing to be able to know that when I fall to sin, he's faithful and just to forgive me when I seek it and to purify me. Understand, he doesn't just forgive you, it says he purifies you. In other words, the stain and that sin's removed. And you're clean walking with the Lord again. So don't ever allow anyone or allow your own heart to put you in a place when you have fallen to some sin to think you have to walk around, even as a Christian, like this. Oh, I'm just no good. Oh, I'm just such a lousy No, no. You have been forgiven and you have been purified. You are as clean and you are as righteous as the day you were born again because it's his righteousness that fills you, not your own. Our righteousness is but what? Filthy rags. That's the rags they used to put on the sores of lepers that are mentioned there. That's what our righteousness is. And so we have to understand that our salvation is continuous, continuous, continuous. God is so good. He's so loving and he's so kind. Now, in the same way that they didn't have to fear the Egyptians, the Lord was going to take care of it. We don't have to fear our Egyptians either. The Lord will take care of it. And all of us have Egyptians. We all have these enemies that come against us that we think, how am I going to accomplish this? I remember one of my Egyptians when I first got saved was alcohol. And uh, I tried every way you can imagine to quit drinking on my own. Because I was one of those guys that I drank Boilermakers, some of you don't even know what that is. I used to get a juice glass of whiskey and a and a glass of beer, you know, sip the whiskey, drink the beer, and it was nothing for me to go through, you know, a couple six packs of beer and a pint of whiskey at one one sitting. And so when I got saved, I said, God doesn't want me to be a drunk. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm just I'm not gonna drink any whiskey, just beer. So I started drinking more beer. Still getting just as drunk. So then I said, okay, now I know what I'm going to do. I know the answer now, Lord. I'm always trying to figure it out on my own. I said, I'm not going to drink whiskey, and I'm not going to drink beer. I'm just going to drink wine a gallon at a time. And uh, so obviously, it didn't do anything. And then finally, I came to a place where I said, Jesus, help me. I was really crying out to the Lord because... The alcohol had the best of me. And I said, just Jesus help me. And he did. I tell people that I believe in all the programs they have to help help people through alcohol and drug abuse, you know, the, the 12-step program. I believe in all of those. But for me, the Lord used a one-step program. I cried from my heart, and he gave me victory. And it's been, I don't know, 40 years, whatever it's been. And I don't drink. I don't. Eat. And now here's the point: if you have not, if you did not have the problem I have, and you have a glass of wine, and you have a you know bottle of beer, something. I'm not talking about that. I'm not putting you down. I'm not making fun of you. You're not. You know, if I walk in your house, hide the beer. You know, I, I don't want you to have to be doing that. I don't care, because you you know have a glass of beer once in a while. For me, it was a problem. For me, it was the Egyptian army. And the Lord gave me the victory. And he's still able to do that. And how many times does the Lord bring our greatest victory when things seem the most difficult? Have you ever noticed that? When it's like, there's no way out of this except up. Ah, Jesus help me. You know I used to I, I talk about all these bumper stickers that i um hate, of course, there's only ever been one bumper sticker that was given to me that I liked because I tell you how I hate religious bumper stickers, but Israel gave me a bumper sticker and, and, and in you know, it's kind of small letters, and anyway, the bumper sticker you put it in the back and it says, "Would you follow Jesus this close?" <laughs> Or are you following Jesus this close? I love that bumper sticker, Israel. But the point is, do you ever have people uh, with the, uh, see, see the bumper sticker where people say, God is my co-pilot? I hate it. I absolutely despise it because it shows me they don't understand their relationship with God. Because for me, God's my pilot. I'm not even a co-pilot. I'm just a passenger, you know. Riding with the Lord wherever he wants to take me. I was going to tell you some other bumper stickers that I hate, but I, I, won't, I won't get into that. Anyway, um, the point is that oftentimes our greatest victories come, in, you know, through our greatest struggles. And, um, and it's only God that can bring the deliverance. And how many times have we struggled with something? But, you know, here's the thing we have to understand. We are to struggle. We are to struggle. I mean, I remember being when I was first saved and there was this prayer meeting I used to go to and they had some weird doctrines and, and, and they, they just did whatever they wanted. Sin. And their, their whole philosophy was, hey, I can just do whatever I want and when God wants to take it away from me, he'll just take it away from me. But I can do whatever I want. Uh, wrong. The point is, when you're saved and when you're born again, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit shows you certain things are wrong, correct? We struggle against it. You don't just let it, you know, sweep you along. We struggle against it. You know, all dead fish flow downstream. It takes a live fish to swim upstream. We're alive in Christ. We need to be swimming upstream. Not like the salmon to spawn and die. But anyway, but we need to be be like live fish swimming upstream. Now, it's also worth noting that all of our efforts sometimes can get in the way of God. Be still. Stand still. Let the Lord do His work. And He will. And He's telling them that they wouldn't see the Egyptian army anymore. But as I mentioned, they'd be facing their greatest enemy in the wilderness self. They cried and moaned and grumbled. And anyone who was above fighting age, except for Joshua and Caleb, never saw the promised land. They died in the wilderness. And so it's important for us to just realize that sometimes the wilderness of this world... And ourself can be our greatest enemy. But just praise and trust God. Here's the bottom line. The worst thing that can happen to you as a believer is you die. The best thing that can happen to you as a believer is you go to be with the Lord. And guess what? To be absent from the body is what? To be present with the Lord. So the worst thing that can happen to you is the best thing. You know, oh, my so-and-so died. Is he a believer? Yes. Praise God. Not at your loss, not at your suffering, not at your heartache, but praise God he's now with the Lord. She's now with the Lord. They're free. They're free. No longer does the bondage of this world have any chains on them. And um, this is why we are told in Scripture to die to self. And it's something that we do not once, it's something we do daily. Open your Bibles to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. 1, 2, 3, four. no, I'm just joking. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, you go to verse 23. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verse 23. Then he, capital H, talking about the Lord, he said to them all. Isn't it interesting that um, in, in the Old Testament, every time it's talking about Yahweh, it's a capital H. In the New Testament, every time it's talking about Jesus, it's a capital H. You know why? Jesus is God. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, capital M, let him, what? Deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Well, what's the cross and emblem of death? For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? You can't take it with you if you're going to hell. If you're going to heaven, you take everything with you. I'm not talking about material possessions. I mean you take everything. In Galatians 5.24, it says, And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. This world makes no sense, but all the things of God makes a lot of sense. Okay, going back to Exodus 14, verses 15 through 18. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? And sha'ach is the word there for cry, and it means discreet. It's like, ah! So it wasn't just, gee, hey, Lord. I mean, it was just, ah! I and mean, he cried out to the Lord, and he says, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. Big mistake. I will, uh, I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his armies, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians uh, shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honors. He's repeating himself for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. So, instead of crying out in fear and anger, we need to just cry out to God, save me, save me. I don't know how to get out of this situation, and he does. Because remember, none of the armor of God that we read about in Romans is for a retreating soldier. Turn to, uh, to uh, Ephesians chapter 6, and verse 11, Ephesians six eleven. <laughs> Ephesians 6, chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11. I've told you this before, but this goes back to all my teaching days. They taught us when I was in college that uh, the first time you give a direction to a student, they're saying, wow. And the second time, they're like, what? oh, yes, he Then the third time, they get it. And for you guys, the fourth time, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11. Look at what it says. Put on the whole armor of God, not part of the armor, not some of the armor or the ones you like. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles. In other words, all the scheming, all the tricks of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Understand, there's a spiritual warfare going on. We have to realize that. It's true. It's real. And it says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God, once again, not part of it, the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day. And having done all to stand, what do you do? Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Now, here's something interesting. The belt girding your waist with truth, all the armor that we're reading about, the leg armor, the body armor, all attached to the, to, the, to the belt that the soldiers, Roman soldiers wore. And so what is the belt for the believer? Truth. Everything hinges on truth. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, that just went down the front of your leg and over your feet. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you're able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. You don't swing it behind you, swing it ahead of you, which is the word of God. So all of the armor of God that he commands us to put on in order to take our stand against the devil in this world and against our own flesh is moving forward, not retreating. You turn around, you're you're exposed. So we always have to be willing to move forward in the Lord. Now, the Egyptians tried to follow uh, the same ground, right, that the Israelites were on. uh, But they were not walking in faith as the Israelites were. And so what became the Israelites' salvation became the Egyptians' destruction. Faith brings deliverance to God's people, but anger and bitterness and revenge brings destruction to the enemies of God. What seemed like a watery grave to the Israelites became a dry path of salvation. And what seemed like a dry path to the Egyptians became a watery grave. It all depends on where your faith is. The Lord was encouraging the Israelites to trust Him and that He would save them. And it's still true. Anyone who trusts the Lord will be saved. Acts 2.21 And it shall come to pass that Whoever, Now, who's included in whoever? Everybody. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Egyptians were judged because they refused to heed the many warnings that God gave them. In the same way, those who refuse to trust the Lord in this life, in death, there's no place for repentance. In Hebrews... 927 it says this and is appointed unto men once to die but after this judgment when you've died you've sealed your judgment judgment comes after death so we have to understand that we, we realize we must realize is that we have to make our decision for the Lord in this life we have to have this deep cry out to the Lord in this life And uh, the one thing that we need to realize is all the while someone has breath in their nostrils, there's opportunity for them to repent. You might be thinking, why don't they get saved? Why don't they get saved? Well, they might not. I've had the opportunity and the blessing. In fact, just a few weeks ago, I had the same opportunity and blessing to go to the hospital, to the bedside of someone who was dying. I mean, they only had one person one day, the other person two days. They were dying. And I had the opportunity to share the gospel with them. And with tears, they accepted Jesus Christ. And were born again. And you're saying, well, is that valid? Well, Jesus gave a whole parable on that. And the 11th hour conversion is just as solid and just as real as the early morning conversion. Do you understand that? You have someone who's walked with the Lord their whole life. And then someone who accepts Christ just before they die. You might say, well, why don't I just wait till just before I die? Because how do you know you will? And number one, your life's going to be a mess until that point. So we need to walk the path of righteousness with the Lord. Now, the only prayer Moses could utter at this time was a cry of anguish. Like I told you, the word means to shriek out. Have you ever found yourself at a place where you didn't know what to pray, and it's just like, oh! Do you know that the Lord hears that? Do you know that the Lord understands your heart? He hears that and he answers that prayer. In Romans it says this Romans chapter six chapter eight, verse twenty six, if you want to write it down. Romans eight, twenty six. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So those times you're like, God, he hears you, he knows your heart, he knows exactly what you're crying out for. You don't even know, he knows, and he will answer you. Now, when he gave Moses the command to bring salvation to the children of Israel, and he said, take a rod and stretch out your hand. Understand, it was neither Moses nor the rod that divided the Red Sea. It was God. The rod was just an instrument, just a symbol. Moses was just an instrument, just a symbol that he used to divide the sea. So never look to the symbols. Remember, we're going to find later on in our study, the children of Israel are in the wilderness, and all of a sudden these serpents, these snakes, start coming and biting the people, and as many people who were struck by these serpents died. And they cried out to God, and God had them put a bronze serpent on a large pole called Shatan, and they were to stand it in the middle of the camp and anyone who was bit by one of those serpents, if if they looked up to that serpent that was on the statue, the stick, they wouldn't die. They were saved. Well, what happened is they ended up turning around and started worshipping the statue, the serpent. And God punished them for that and made them grind it up and drink it. So, The last couple of verses we're going to do very quickly. And the angel of God, this is uh, verse 19 of uh, 14. And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came to pass between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to one. And it gave light by night to the other. So that one did not come near the other all the night So in other words, here's Israel. They have no place to go. They're waiting for God to work. Why didn't the Egyptian army come in and just destroy him? Because God put a barrier. And so there's a barrier between His people and the Egyptians, and God still puts that barrier there for us as well. The angel of the Lord still goes before us, and yet at the same time, He watches our back. And uh, what was a cloud of terror to the Egyptians was the light of daylight to the, Israel, the Israelites. And I can't even imagine what this must have look, looked like. And it speaks, it speaks to us the truth that Jesus is light. In him is no darkness at all. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with, uh, with, one an- with him and with one another in the blood of Jesus Christ. His son purifies us from all sin. So we walk in his light and he protects our back. Because understand this cloud of darkness, the word is used there for darkness. Those, those Egyptians couldn't even see their hand in front of their face. Their face, they were completely in dark. It would have been a very fearful thing. God kept them away, and the same thing is true. You don't have to be walking around like this. Just keep walking with the Lord; He'll take care of your back. He'll take care of it. In First Corinthians, chapter ten, verses one through four, it says, "Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea." All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. You know, the manna. And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock, capital on your Bible for rock, that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Did you ever wonder where the rock came from that Moses struck to bring water out of? somehow i don't understand it but scripture tells us that there was a spiritual rock that followed them in the desert and that rock was christ and the rock jesus christ is a rock of ages and he still follows us in our life and he still watches over us and he still protects us and he loves us And no matter what comes our way all we have to do is cry out to the lord lord save me And he does. He loves you. He loves me. He loves the world. For God so loved the world. And so you and I, as his free men and women in faith, need to be out there and trying to set the captives free by the work of the Spirit and by the Word of God. Father, we come before you in Jesus' Yeshua's name, and we thank you for your Word and for the truth that we find in it. And I ask that the things that we looked at, the things we studied this morning, would encourage us and help us to walk a life of faith. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. And I ask, Father, that your blessing would be upon each one who is here, that they would leave here stronger than when they came in. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you, my friends.